you were in church today. How many of you have been going to church all your life? All right. How many of you have been going to church since, um, I don't know, when do you become an adult? Let's say since you're out of high school. All right. How many have gone to church in the last, just started going to church in the last five years? All right. How many of you have just started going to church in the last year? Anybody? All right. Thanks for being on. Some others? This subject called the church is what I want to park with on this Sunday in light of where we just came as a nation related to an election and where we are as a church headed into not just the holiday season, but more importantly, uh, the season of 2017. Because it's very easy for us to uh, not know what we're doing when we come to participating in what's called the church. So I want to talk today on who is the church. Now here's the reality. The question is not what is the church. The question is who is the church. One of the things in light of the election is that you realize that everybody gets a vote. It doesn't matter if uh, you are uh, old, young, uh, what ethnicity you come from, what your background is, what your education level is. Everybody gets the vote if they're a citizen of the United States. And we're all equal. And so the votes are tabulated, and the way our republic works is that it's per state, and the number of states vote, and that winner with the Electoral College ends up becoming the president of the United States. All right? So we watch and observe what's happened through this last week, and to some degree, I don't know, I hopefully haven't got dulled about this, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that there is peaceful transition that can happen with governments. Think about the history. When you think about some of the more uh, older time history, you, you had emperors, you had dictators. It's still true in many parts of the world. There are coups and you overthrow with wars and soldiers. But in this nation, we can change government and regimes, if you will, at the ballot box. It's a blessing to have. And everybody should exercise that opportunity, right? Now, it doesn't always go the way that we want to go, but there is this transition that changes with the leadership because the leadership, the headship of the nation is representing the body of people. But with God, it's the other way around. The body of people are to represent the headship of the leadership. Do you Know that, you know, just like we have President-elect Trump now and Vice President-elect Pence, we will never, ever have an elect person to lead the church other than Jesus Christ. There will never be any church head-elect to replace Jesus. Jesus started the church, and the church are his people. But a lot of times we don't think about it as a who, we think about it as a what. We think about it as an institution, as a structure. We complain, well, the state, the government. Well, friends, who's the state? Who's the government? The people are, right? So also with the church. 
If I was to have you answer the question, who is the church? The answer is right here inside this picture frame. Who is the church? What's going on with the church? It's right there. Some of you are really bothered right now because you're like, wow, I really should have looked in the mirror before I, uh, <laughs> I came to church, right? Well, I was walking right there. Who is the church? You are the church. You are the church. We are the church together. And so if we ever want to get all up in arms about what's wrong with the church, well, friends, you just can't say the church like it's some object, some separate entity that exists on its own. We are the church. You and I are the church. And the church is only as healthy as the individual members of the church. Have you ever gone to a dead church? I've said this before. When we rebranded this church from Chorus Church to the Awakening Church, I was a little concerned about using that name. Yeah, a little bit edgy, radical name, but hey, I'm in Southern California. You can name a church or anything you want out here. But the, the reality is the Awakening Church means we can't be a dead church. We have to be an alive church. Otherwise, people go, that's sort of like an oxymoron. I went to that church. It's called the Awakening Church, and it was dead, right? Well, the only way you can get an alive church is for there to be spiritually alive people. And so for us to talk about who is the church is the appropriate question. We shouldn't talk about what the church is. The church is not the church is not a, a program. It's not a building, right? We've talked about this, the people the way before. The church is us and the vitality of us. So when you see some of the, and I anticipate them probably going on, there's a lot of anxiety. I think people don't have the, maybe the history of some of us people that are older, but the nation will be fine. It will transition from one government leadership type of dynamic to another, and it has for over 200 years. The, the founding fathers were pretty good in how they stipulated things, and, and people all realize that we are a nation together to be united. We're called the United States, not the divided states, and we're going to be okay. But the turmoil will probably continue to go on and wrestling some fear. What does this mean, this kind of change? What, it, friends, you can't sit back and complain about the state of a nation because the state of a nation is the state of the hearts of the people. And so instead of, in my opinion, doing a lot of protesting, you can get your thoughts out there and that kind of thing. Let's examine our own hearts because the nation will only be as whole and as um, healing and as non-prejudiced, non-racist, as, as united economically and other kinds of means as the hearts of the people are. doesn't mean there's un, a unanimous thing. It was a 50-50 kind of vote this week, right? But in the 50-50 kind of vote, you still have to step back and say, hey, we are to be united because we are the people of this country. We, the people, do not. Is that not stated? We, the people. So with the church, it's we the people, but we the people do not govern. There is a prince of peace 
There is a sovereign Lord, and we participate in his governance in this world. And his governance in this world is, is not in crisis. His will will be done. Jesus will come back again. He will set up an earthly reign that is peaceful for whatever reason during this season called the church age. There is wrestling over individual lives for individuals to choose to be a follower of Jesus. So whether you've gone to church all your life or maybe you showed up here for the first time today going, I think maybe I ought to check out church, see what's happening. Friends, this is what church is. It's not the building. It's not the programs. It's not the songs. It's not even the preacher giving the message. The church is the people of God. In fact, the word ecclesia is what church comes from, and it means the called out ones, a called out gathering of people. But the gathering of people are those who are seeking to be followers of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we submit to his headship. There will be no other head elect that's coming down the road for the church. We are the church, and we are supportive of the governance of God called the kingdom of God in this world, and we get to participate in what he's doing. So who is the church? We are the church. In a little bit, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a decision to cross a line, actually, to become what's called a participating member in this local church. And we'll look at that in a second. But the idea of being a member of a local church has always sort of sometimes rubbed me the wrong way because it's not a club you're joining. And I don't have to be a part of a local church to be a part of the true church of Jesus Christ, right? But there is a defining moment, I believe, God calls us to, to participate, especially in a culture that's very passive sometimes. We're not really participants as much as we're spectators. We can have all kinds of ideas. Well, that church or this church, we do church shopping, whatever it may be. But, friends, you have to, to walk to a place of maturity in your life if you're a follower of Jesus and say, I want to participate as a fully devoted follower in a local body that's able to represent well what God's doing. And I trust that that local body will be fully alive, awakened in Christ, because I am that kind of individual. But that doesn't always happen. I see it happen over and over again. This week, uh, well, last Sunday we had potluck in here, so we had all set up with tables. This week, we used those tables to have a training seminar in here for emerging pastors uh, in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, and they were going through some training. They do it about every quarter. They come in, and we host it. And uh, they were uh, looking actually at global missions this, w- this week. But they are people that are licensed to become pastors or on the ordination track with the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is the denomination we're part of, sort of that uh, covering to bless. And uh, so we had to set up the chairs. And I just chose not to get around to it. So Levi and I over here, we came and set up the chairs yesterday, didn't we, Levi? And so we start setting up the chairs and and uh, trying to teach the routine of this young man, my son. And uh, I'm setting up the last row of chairs. And I'll be honest with you. I was setting up the last row of the chairs going, how many chairs should I set up? How many people are going to be here tomorrow? How many people have other plans tomorrow? Lord, is our church growing? Lord, how do you define growth? And I sat there, setting up that last row of chairs, and I thought to myself, Lord, 
may we not become mundane in being a part of the church. And may we not find ourselves defining church by how many people show up on a Sunday morning. In fact, Jesus, why do people show up on a Sunday morning? If I wasn't the pastor of this church, Jesus, would I show up at this church? You don't think people like me ask those kinds of questions, but I do. (laughs) Would I show up at church? Why did you show up today? It's a good question to ask. But, you see, you're not showing up at church. You are showing up as the church. And the answer to my question is yes. I would be a part of this local church. But I have a desire in a disciplined way to gather in a corporate body, whether in a larger group like this or in a life group, whatever it may be, to be together with the church. Who's the church? We are the church. And we need to be engaged with one another for the purposes of God. And I want our church to grow, not because of big number issues, but because the body of Christ needs to be a movement in our world. You know, they said with the whole Trump election, you know, they set it down on the campaign trail. This is more than an election. This seems to be a movement. Yay, nay, if it was a movement of groundswell, middle America, wherever, there is this thing that captures our heart if we're part of a movement. And so on the back row yesterday, setting up chairs, I'm like, yes, Lord, I want us to be a movement for your kingdom. And I don't want to settle for something less. And to speak on a subject like who is the church is vital to us because if we're not dialed in to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission, then we as a church will be a dead church and we won't be a church that could call itself the awakening church. But it's not about us. It's about him and his church and what he's doing in his land. The people who are called out to be followers of him in this world and the world yet to come. The people who will rule and reign in the heavens, who will be co-heirs with Christ. This is big stuff picture, but we get really myopic and we get caught up in the small stuff, sometimes just the the ritual aspects of it, and, and we lose the heart and the flavor. There is great hope in many people's hearts today for a change with the headship of a government, right? Just as surely there's fears for other people. But the reality is we want to be a part of something that's healthy, just as we prayed. To pray to lead peaceful and quiet lives with all godliness and holiness. And to see rights be made wrong. To see all people treated equal. To see people given the opportunity who don't have opportunity. We have aspirations because we're made in the image of God. And we desire what the heart of God is. You showed up today though. You came to church. But did you realize that you were the church in coming here? This is my fear. And I've seen it happen in the years of my ministry. I've seen it happen even worse so in recent, probably the recent decade. There is a waning of participation in the local communities of church. Because, well, various reasons. Life's busy. There's other things to do. We're tired. It's the only day off that we would get. And it's not just about Sunday mornings. It may be participating in a community, a life group, or being on a mission, or whatever it might be. And there's a weariness that sets in. And 
this weariness that sets in is addressed um, by A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer, Alliance pastor, and uh, always sort of had a prophetic edge. The church, 1 Corinthians 12.27 says this, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are the church. The church, when it started, was very dynamic. The Acts passages, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, this is the, this is the New Testament church. The beginning, there was no called out ones on a movement for Jesus until the church started. Acts 2.43 says, When they gathered, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. How many times you say, I'd like to have been a part of that day. And the church's early movement, it was breaking out and it began to spread around the world, right? A church should be defined at some level by that passage. Filled with awe, many wonders and miraculous signs happening. And I'm not talking about miracles or healings for the sake of miracles and healings. But the presence of God in the midst of the people of God meeting together to serve his purposes. Wonders should fill our hearts. And miracles and healings, those things could should happen. But truth, loving and caring for one another, being able to see downtrodden people picked up and lifted up and set on new paths, seeing addictions go fall by the wayside, seeing people who have been indifferent, belligerent towards Jesus or God, open up their hearts to God. We should see wondrous, miraculous signs happening. Not done just by the apostles. The apostles are the forerunners of all who are called according to the Lord. That needs to be the dynamic. But, three words that Tozer gives. What often happens with the church is rote, rut, and rot. You like those three words? I like them a lot. Rote, rut, and rot. What is rote? Rote is the repetition without feeling, without meaning, without wonder, and without any happy surprises or expectations. Now, it's very easy to fall into, and rote means this routine. You fall into a routine where you're doing the same thing over and over again. Do you wake up on certain days and go, I can't believe it's this day again? Where did the last seven days go? Oh, it's that again. Or maybe it's like, well, we're, we're looking at Thanksgiving and Christmas again? Oh, my gosh, didn't we just do that, right? There is this routine in life, and there is a repetition that comes, and we just start not living. We start existing. And it's true with churches. Oh, we go to church today. Oh, there's life group tonight. Oh, kids' company practice tonight. And we just get caught into a routine and a rope. Now, we'd say, what is one of the greatest hindrances? What is one of the greatest challenges for the church today? You might say, well, maybe it's liberal teaching and people denying the credibility of scriptures or that Jesus was God. Friends, that's not the greatest threat to church. Well, is it the government? 
Maybe the government, and we just came through the election, right? Maybe the government's the greatest threat to the church. Well, friends, I tell you what. We can meet in here every day, seven days, 24 hours a day. We can have prayer meetings all night, and there's no government authority that's going to show up at our door and say, you can't do that. We live in a free country to be able to worship God. The greatest danger to a church is rote. Just doing the routine. This is what we do. There's no great feeling or expectation or wonder when we come to meet together. Yeah, we know our friends might show up, but, you know, hey, if Jesus doesn't show up, the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, that, that's all right. Is it? No. We gather in his name. We are here for the purpose of him. We are here for the purpose of him. What shatters the routine is the awesome presence of the Lord. Do we miss him? Are you caught up in a routine in your life? Do you miss him? You see, a tendency for the church, when they start to realize they're in a rote kind of stance, is to get busy. Busy, busy, busy. Do more of this. Well, friends, don't get busy. That doesn't define a church. I know a lot of churches that are very, very busy, and they would wear me out. Right? The health of a church is not defined by its activity. It's defined by the presence of Jesus working amidst those people and those people serving the purposes of God out in the world as well as one another when we gather, yes. But we should never allow ourselves to believe that activity creates health. The presence of God in your life will create health. And we are the church. So the presence of God, full in your life and in my life, overflows into activity. Healthy extensions of the arms of Jesus. But activity in of itself does not equate to health. And so we shatter the routine by focusing on the presence of Christ amidst us as a people. Matthew 17, verse 20 says this. He replied, Jesus, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith that can move mountains? Oh, that was just figuratively. You can't take him literally. I don't know, can you? I tell you what, when I see a hardened person towards God who has been lost and falling in all kinds of angles, which they shouldn't in life, see them do a 180, invite Christ in their life, see transformation, and they become a new person. When you see real regeneration happening in a person's life, that's a greater miracle than moving Mount San Jacinto up here. It really is. Because without the Spirit of God working in our life, we are dead unto sin, Scriptures say. Here's another reason I was dwelling on this whole subject of church, setting up the back row. I think, Levi, you, you were up here. You took a nap on the front row at that moment. I think you were a little wore out. I came three years ago, and I came in the middle of what was called a five-year lease for us being in these church buildings. This building and the building next to us. The lease 
has been a good lease. The buildings have been a good set of buildings for us. But the expense of the buildings has started to become a little bit of an albatross around us and weighing us down. And so I've asked you to pray if we are to stay in these buildings or not. If God would have somewhere else for us to go. This church started in elementary schools. All right. We've looked back at that thought. We've looked at going to the Edwards Theater downtown. Even I checked that out a number of months ago. We've looked at other buildings. We've been connected with a commercial realtor. I've talked with my landlords of these buildings. And so for the last, uh, wow, the elders that are in here, probably really for the last year, the whole issue of our facility has weighed on us. Because I felt it was handicapping us, not just financially, but this is the right place to be. God's called us to be a regional church. You know, should we get moved to more of a Marietta proper area? Should we, you know, be open to what's going to happen with Clinton Keith Road, which I think opens up French Valley to be connected to the 215? You know, God started the church in French Valley. French Valley's grown, but it's grown on the west side of the Winchester as, as, as much as the east. And so you weigh all this in. Well, I want to tell you what the news is. The news is God says, don't be consumed with your facility at the moment, Carrie. The place of your presence as a local church is not critical compared to my presence in your midst. And so we still have our eyes open. But this week we signed a one-year extension on this building, and the student room next door. But we did not sign a lease extension on the children's space, preschool, nursery, elementary space. This was a step of faith. We told our landlord we would be glad to rent it on Sunday mornings only at a very minimal kind of price. They said, okay, we will do that until... Somebody else wants to rent it. And I said, well, maybe our church will grow strength-wise, financially, otherwise, and maybe first part of the year we can get back into taking on that space. If we have to, we can sort of you know, move elementary into the student room and move the preschool nursery into where the offices are now. We'll accommodate. So we've thought through all that. I don't know what's going to happen with that. But they came this week. They put the papers before me. The elders has made the vote. I signed the papers, kicked the can down the road another year. And then they told me, oh, by the way, we believe we have somebody who wants to rent that space you're giving up. What did the big faith-filled pastor say to himself? Oh, crud, right? I'm like, all right, Lord, it's more about your presence than the presence where we're at. What's up? I don't know if this group's going to sign. It's a theater group. But this theater group says to our landlord currently, if the church would like to use it and rent it for Sunday mornings or maybe even other times during the week, they're welcome to do that. I'm like, is this a win-win? Like we get to reduce rent by 4000 a month and we still get to use it for Sunday morning? I don't know. It may not materialize. But as I'm setting up church on the back row for Sunday, I'm wrestling with, is this... Was this the right decision? Is this the right place for it to be? And God turns the focus and it says, it's not about your place of your presence of where your location is. Carrie, it's about the people 
being fully alive in me and full of faith because the church is not an institution or a building. It's the people of God. Here's what happens, though, with a routine that sets in with us. We get caught up in those logistics. We get caught up in maintaining, surviving, rather than being a part of a movement. And a rote, Tozer says, moves to a rut. A rut, spiritually speaking, the rut is bondage to the rote, and the greatest danger lies in our ability to sense or feel this bondage. And I'm making a call today to make sure that we do not fall into a rut out of our rote. You know, I would say a, a sick uh, doctor diagnoses a man as being sick, but he doesn't tell the man. He just tells his wife. It's like, hey, you know, he's, he's pretty bad. In fact, he, he, could, he could kill over any day. And she chooses not to tell him. He goes about his day. He goes to work. He plays his sports games. He golfs, whatever. He may go on a hunting trip or whatever, but the man does not know his condition. That is true of many churches, local churches. I don't want it to be true of our church. I don't want us to be in a road where, spiritually speaking, we have this bondage to routine, and we just have an inability to feel this bondage. I want us to be fully alive to what God's called us to do, and that requires each of us to be fully alive and committed to that. This is a striking verse in Mark 6, 5. It says, He could not do any miracles there, Jesus, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. I'm just struck by that last phrase. Jesus was amazed. Whoa, look at that! But it wasn't for something good. It's like, whoa, look at that church. They have no faith in my power, my ability to change people's lives, to change the trajectory of a neighborhood or a nation. Where's their faith at? They're just caught up in the rote. And the rote has become a rut. And the rut has deadened them to the power of Jesus Christ operating through their lives, in their communities, with their friends and family members, in their gatherings such as this. The focus isn't on the power of his presence. The focus is on the mechanics and the routines and just doing the maintenance. Oh, we, we'll go beyond maintenance. We'll even throw on a few good uh, outreaches and do some other kind of activity. But we're neglecting the heart and the soul and the presence of Jesus to do ministry with people. Rote to rut. And the last one's really not a good word. Rot. Tozer says this, it's when the psychology of non-expectation takes over and spiritual rigidity sets in, which is an inability to visualize anything better, a lack of desire for improvement. So now I'll tell you my last part of me setting up the chairs on the back row. Lord, are we in a state of rot? You know what dry rot is, right? So when wood starts to rot, it's actually I, I've seen dry rot happen with curtains. You know, curtains that are hanging up forever, and then all of a sudden they just start to fall, and you're going, what's the problem? They just rotted away. Lord, can we, as the Awakening Church, visualize anything greater than what we have? And it may not be a big numerical thing. It may be a movement of love and care for people touching people's lives, having hope, people being trained. 
You know, it's interesting, Francis Chan, some of you know who Francis Chan is. Francis Chan started a church up here, northern part of Los Angeles. That church went from a house church up to multiple, multiple thousands of people over a course of 15 years. And one day he just quits. He is now in the San Francisco area after a few years of doing some different things, of just getting away from being in that type of intense, high-horsepowered ministry. And he's trying to start a new movement of churches. And he said they got together and they tried, a group of them, tried to decide what, what does the Bible say the church is. Not what do you think it is, what your background is, what your experience it is or not experience. What does the Bible say? And they came up with four kinds of aspects. And they said the, the Bible says that the church, the people of Jesus, would be a place where there's love. Wouldn't that make sense? And when you walk into the environments where in a, in a worship setting or a group setting or out doing mission, that there would just be a love that exists with those people. And then there would be this aspect that they would, they would be gathered and they would be focused on the person of Christ. That Jesus would be lifted up. That Jesus' presence would be spoken about. And next Sunday, we'll be having communion next Sunday for Thanksgiving week. And, you know, the body broken in the bread and the blood is a remembrance that Christ would be at the center of all that they were doing. Another aspect that they said would be a part of it is that there would be an urgency to get the message out. That there was such good news in the gospel, like we talked about the last two weeks in Global Missions, that, that we just have to get the word out. Here's great news. Some of you get great news and you post it on Facebook right away. Woo! And we rejoice with you with our likes, smiles, hearts, whatever, right? Well, the church should be passionate about the good news of Jesus. He can change people's lives. He can change countries. He can solve things. I had my well go out yesterday again. And I was like, I really want to take a shower before church. And the landlord came out. Another guy that lives next door came out. We looked at it and, well, it wasn't working. And finally came back later and, and we figured out what it was. And my neighbor, George, comes back over and he says, you got it working. And I said, yeah, George, I prayed over it. I'm just messing with him, right? He's some guy I'm trying to encourage a little bit that doesn't need to know Jesus. And he's like, just look at there and pray over it, right? And it's like, well, why not? We just prayed over it. Now, we did pray for God's leading, and he showed us a connection that wasn't working in a rusted box, and it works, and that's good. I did get a shower today, in case you're wondering. But there's, there's just this, this aspect of me like, well, why would that be a surprise if you prayed that God would make something happen, right? But the urgency to get the message out that God works, God changes things. So the aspect of love, focusing on Jesus, that there's an urgency to get the message out, and that there's an equipping going on of developing more leaders and more people who would be mission people being sent out. Biblically, that's what the church should be. And I had to listen to Francis Chan say that and reflect, is that who we are? Is that who we're being? Remember when we walked through the seven letters to the churches in Revelation? To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Rot. 
there's a major wake-up call going across the America, the United States, to churches. Because left unto ourselves, we are headed to a rot. A renewal movement of Jesus becoming the power source in our lives. My whole life, I've desired for another R word. And that R word is revival. And this is the verse that kept coming to me this week. Ephesians 5.14 Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Let Christ emerge. Ephesians 3.20 says this. It's often given as a benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to our ability. According to his power. That is at work in who? Us. The church. We're the church. To him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Who wrote this? The Apostle Paul wrote this. There was a passion in his heart that was undying for the church to be alive to the purposes and the mission of God. But every one of us have to make a decision. Are we going to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission? That's our mission statement as a church. You hear me say it, you might get tired of me saying it. There's not a day that goes by that I don't see somebody posting something, writing about awakening, trying to become more alive in Christ. I was reading something yesterday out of a journal or whatever, and it's talking about this aliveness aspect. I'm like, I'm glad we're named the Awakening Church. Not because of the name. And I know it's a little aggressive for some people. I found that out when I started to find other places to meet in. It's like, your name's called what? It's not like a weird church. No. I just want to be fully alive in Christ and do his mission. Oh, okay. It's not like, you know, Second Street Church or, you know, some, you know, Bible church. No, the Wicking Church. Are you alive? Uh, don't ask me. That verse... The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's a primary verse for us as a church. I want to call us to this at the end of this talk. I normally have a class for something called participating membership. And I don't do it because it's a club. We do it to have ownership that we are participating as a local church to be on mission for Christ. I want to give you the opportunity to consider being a participating member of this local church if you aren't currently. And I'm not going to make you go to a class. Because the most important thing for me is not that you can fill in blanks and you have rote memory of different things. The most important thing to me is that you have a passion to be the church and a passion to fulfill the purposes of Jesus through this local body. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And we need members who are passionate about Jesus' presence, going where all of your presence goes during the course of a week. But sometimes 
we become spectators. We get caught up in the rote and the rut and the rot, and we sit on the sidelines, or we're indifferent, or we become complainers. We rock the boat rather than rowing the boat. And participating membership sort of calls us together to say, let's make this happen. Do you want to be in the game, skin in the game? Number two, number three, and number four, college, undefeated football yesterday got beat. Last team that got beat was Michigan by Iowa. And when Iowa kicked the last field goal to beat them, the stands emptied with the fans on the field. I always find that interesting. Do you think you're more part of it if you get down on the field? You've been sitting up there observing in a distant perspective for a long time, cheering, complaining, yelling at the refs. The people that are playing the game have been the soldiers down on the field, right? But no, we're down there on the field. Friends, there's a big difference between being in the stands and being on the field. Participating membership is really clear. It's about getting out of the stands and becoming a player on the field. And so we've put together some defining elements for you to cross over that. In your program this morning, there's some articulation of what participating membership is, and I want you to read that front and back page of that. But I want to take us to this insert, this little cardboard insert. It lists the mission statement. It mentions what becoming fully alive to Christ and his mission is. It lists two great passages, the great commandment and the great commission from which come our purposes. And then it says this. Upon my commitment to follow Jesus Christ, I desire to live out my faith and serve his kingdom's purposes by living the call together with others. As Paul championed the rich generosity of the local church in Macedonia by saying in 2 Cor 8, 5, and they exceeded, I love this verse, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, who? To the Lord. And then, by the will of God, also to us. Is a commitment to the Lord and a commitment to the people who are the follower of the Lord. So also I gave myself to the Lord. I give myself to the Lord and then to others in the local body of Christ known as the Awakening Church in the Temecula Valley of Southern California. Together we will seek to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Therefore, back page. I covenant to God and to others the following steps of obedience concerning the core three values of our church in order to be a participating member. And these are the three values. You've heard them before if you've been around here a little bit. A Christ-centered deeper life a grace-giving communal life, and a kingdom-advancing missional life. Or more succinctly, you're devoting yourself to passionate spirituality to know Jesus. Radical community of loving and serving one another, and missionary zeal, the urgency to get the message out in word and deed to as many people as you can. I put some check bullet points we have underneath each of these. If you'd like to become a participating member, you're simply going to sign at the bottom... And say you're in. This is your class. There's a class. You have to be a follower of Jesus. It's in the part you can read on your own. And you're signing on board a covenant. Do we post these? Do we call you up, hold you accountable? No, your accountability is back to the Lord. But here's the checklist. A Christ-centered, deeper life. I follow Jesus Christ daily as my personal Savior and Lord. I affirm my faith in Christ through the public sacrament of baptism. If you're a follower of Jesus, we encourage you to be baptized. You don't have to be baptized to become a church member, but the next time we have baptism, sign up to be baptized. You're willing to make a public declaration of your personal faith. 
I identify with Christ's life in me as my righteousness and hope. I seek intimacy with Jesus through scripture, prayer, and serving. And I accept responsibility for my own spiritual formation and growth to be a passionate person for following Christ. The second value of grace-giving communal life, I honor God through both personal and weekly corporate worship. I foster relationships of depth in a missional community life group. I support my church leadership, mission, vision, values, and beliefs. We're not perfect, but in general, you're supporting. And the beliefs, we sang about those beliefs in the Creed song this morning. I protect church unity by resolving conflict and refusing to gossip. I pursue generosity through regular giving and biblical stewardship. And then the third value of kingdom advancing missional life, I seek to develop a servant's heart in helping others and the body. I share my faith, my life and faith with those who do not follow Jesus Christ. I participate on a ministry team and regularly serve my church. I invite others to church and warmly engage with those who visit. And the last bullet, I commit to doing my part in being on mission in my community during the week and involved in the task of global evangelization. Whether you would feel led to do that this morning or not, that's up to you. I want to give you the opportunity. And in giving you the opportunity, I also know that some of you may need to think about it and pray about it because there's no coercion, but there is the opportunity given. If you'd like to know more fully about some of the church and membership things, there's this book, Participating Membership Handbook. If you, be, if you sign that and turn it in with the offering basket today, I'm going to send you one of these. I'll also send you a copy of the bylaws so you can have something to read when you go to the restroom. And you can become fully knowledgeable about all the church kind of activity. But there's something to be said about getting out of the stands of our good intentions and getting in the game. That's one of the key reasons that we have participating membership. Not for what you get, but for what the body gets and what Christ gets when you cross that defining line of saying, I'm in with this local body. If you have questions or thoughts related to membership in the church, I'd be more than glad to answer those at any time. You can call me, connect with me. I'll have lunch with you. You can pick up those booklets out there. I didn't want to make it too top-heavy today because, really, I know many of you are not technically participating members in this church, but you have huge amount of skin in the game, and you do ministry. Your life is through this church. And I'm not meaning to say that there's the insiders and the outsiders. I just know that together at this season of life for us as a church, heading into a new year, we're staying put. God has plans for us. He wants our faith to be genuine and real and powerful. We need as much ownership of coming together and say, I'm in. And that's what today's about. Who is the church? We are the church. God, we thank you this morning that through Christ we have redemption, but through Christ we have a great big family.